Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Everybody, uh, welcome back to a, another edition of Across the Romaverse, a Chiesa di Tati podcast. Uh, we are recording on uh, <laughs> Friday afternoon. <laughs> Lost track of my days there. Uh, Friday afternoon, um, another two-man pod, different two people this time. It's uh, Brandon and Steve. Uh, we're going to be recapping the yesterday's uh, Roma Torino match. Um, you can tell I'm a bit rusty. This is the first time I've been on in a few weeks. So uh, huge thanks to Steve and Sean who have done such an incredible job with the match recaps. We're getting a lot of good feedback. And we actually crossed um, 10,000 downloads the other day, which is uh, pretty good. I think when we started this, I wasn't really anticipating maybe doing more than one or two a month. But you guys have really picked up the slack. So thank you for that. Um, so we are, like I said, it's Friday afternoon. Steve and I are both uh, under a blanket of snow. Uh, in the Northeast. Um, we're not together. We don't live together, but we're both in the same neck of the woods, more or less. Um, Steve, how are you coping with all the snow? Doing well. Um, you know, I'm still I'm still in the co-op, not the house yet, so I didn't have to clean too much. Just had to dig out my wife's car. So other than that, it's been okay. I got a snow day yesterday. got to watch the match, so I was happy about that. Oh, so you don't have to deal with shoveling or clearing off driveways, any of that stuff? No, at least for another uh, couple of weeks. My wife and I are moving at the end of the month into a house, so that'll be my my problem. But for now, it's the co-op. They uh, they have people that come and clean. So for now, I don't have to worry about it. Oh, that's funny you mentioned that. That's a good segue. I had a kind of a funny story. So this is a, a brief um, glimpse into my life and what sort of person I am. So I am fortunate enough to have a snowblower. But, um, so in the spring, I always run it dry. So just let it run, let all the gas come out. It drives me crazy because I'm a bit of an environmentalist. So it, just to hear my snowboard running and running and running with nothing to do in the driveway always makes me feel bad. But you got to do it so it starts straight away in the winter because you want to be stuck with a foot of snow and a snowboard that doesn't work. But the problem with that is I always forget to put gas in it. So when I see like the news coming, oh, big snowstorm tomorrow, I'm like, oh, okay. But then it's not, I never get gas the night before. I always wait till the day the snow comes to go get gas. I have to trudge out through the snow, go to the gas station park my car in the street, come back, start the snowblower. Um, so what I did today was I have a, a pretty old house, like 1930s. And my garage is just a piece of junk. It's like literally like tilted because it's so <laughs> old. And I have one of those garages where there's windows on the garage door, like glass windows, which I always find kind of odd. Like, do you really need to see what's inside your garage? You should know what's in there. But they're pretty old. So I have like six windows, half of which are broken just from like basketballs. And from back in the day, I used to take slap shots with tennis balls at it. So those are all broken. So I went outside this morning, needed to get gas from the snowblower, but I didn't feel like lifting up my garage door because, like I said, my garage is super old, so it's not automatic. 
the springs are broken. So I'm opening the garage. I'm lifting the full weight of the door, which is like, I don't know, 70, 80 pounds. So I was like, this is like eight in the morning. I'm like, I don't want to deal with that. So I stuck my head through the window, grabbed a rake, and I was trying to pull the gas tank and try and lift it up. And so the window is completely punched out. And somehow I didn't notice there was a nail there. So I had my head through the window. I'm trying to like get as much levers as I can to lift up this gas tank with a rake. And unbeknownst to me, there was a little nail inside my nostril. So as I'm pulling oh. back, I cut my nose. So it's like eight in the morning. My nose is bleeding. My car is running. I'm like, oh my God, what do I do? I had to go run inside, stop the bleeding. So it was quite a mess to get rid of a little bit of snow. So that's my morning. Um, that's what I try to do. I try to uh, cut corners wherever I can. <laughs> and today it literally made me bleed. So yeah, that's my morning. Um, yeah. So like I said, we're going to do a quick recap of yesterday's three to one win over Torino. Um, so Roma came into this match. Uh, they were in such fine form to begin uh, the fall. They won like eight out of 10. Then we had the four nil loss to Napoli after um, Maradona's passing away. So we might've had no chance in that one because Napoli were so uh, amped up. And then they tied with Sassuolo only to rebound against Bologna with that 5-1 beatdown. So Roma were turning the corner, um, hitting on all positives coming back to the match. Torino um, visitors coming to Roma had lost three of the last five and only had one win all year. And then uh, prior to the match, uh, Paulo Fonseca didn't really complain, but he was sort of lamenting about why are Roma and Torino um, being forced to play on Thursday, the only match of the round on a Thursday. Um, but Steve, why don't you catch us up on what happened on Wednesday around the rest of the league and why that sort of worked to Roma's benefit? Yeah, I mean, you know, we've seen in the past plenty of times where other teams drop points and Roma in turn goes and drops points and doesn't capitalize on other teams' mistakes. But this week, you know, Sassuolo dropped points, uh, Juve drew Atalanta, so they both dropped points. Milan, again, for the second match in a row, had to come back to get a draw against a, um, a lower table team, Parma, and then Genoa, or vice versa. I can't remember which order, but they've been dropping points. Hellas dropped some points. So everyone around Roma dropped points this week, uh, including Napoli, who they were uh, level with going in. Um, they lost to Inter. So Inter and Roma, the only teams really in the top 10 who are the direct competition for those Champions League places that uh, picked up points. So big, uh, big win for Roma now to be level on the table with Juve after 12 match days. If you told me that before the season started, I would have said, sign me up in a heartbeat. I'm sure most Romanisti would have been um, just three points behind Inter and four points off of Milan at the top. And now they have a little bit of breathing room with Napoli um, six up on Atalanta. Atalanta has the match in hand. So we'll get into the Atalanta, you know, coming up this weekend later, but that is now looking like a huge opportunity to put them some more distance between themselves and a, a direct rival for a top four spot. So finally the, you know, Roma capitalized on uh, an opportunity that they, they haven't in past seasons and it, it was big for them. Uh, and they're winning the games they should be winning this year. They haven't really dropped points to any of those teams that are below them in the table, which is huge. Yeah, I I, I agree with you there. I, I think when we saw all the results on Wednesday, um, I would say you're not a Roma fan if you weren't <laughs> you weren't scared that they were going <laughs> to throw that one. But thankfully they did. So let's move right into the lineup choices today or yesterday. Excuse me. Um, so pretty standard stuff with two notable exceptions. Um, the first of which was Pedro who was eligible for this match back from suspension. Um, but Paulo Fonseca left him out and instead pushed uh, Pellegrini further up the pitch next to Mkhitaryan in support of Dzeko, and then in turn put Gonzalo Villar into Pellegrini's usual spot further back in midfield. Um, so what did, you, what did you make of that, Stephen? I, I think whenever you see Pellegrini in a more 
um, advanced role, which to me still seems like his more natural role. Um, I tend to think that the expectations are heightened. Like I was expecting him to have like maybe two or three key passes, a couple dribbles, really sort of um, acting like a point guard, distributing, running the offense. But that wasn't really the case. Do you, what did you make of his performance there? Do you, are you like me? Do you expect more from him when he's playing in more of attacking role? Or are you sort of used to um, the in-between Pellegrini is doing a little bit of everything this year? Yeah, so um, when I saw it, you know, in the match, you know, the problem formations I put out before the match, that was the only position I had wrong was the, the Pedro VR. Everything else was pretty standard that I expected. And when I saw it, I was actually, you know, pretty pleased with it because, you know, coming off that five-goal, you know, thrashing of Bologna, I gave Fonseca credit for actually sticking with what worked the match before and not just automatically going back to Pedro just because he's Pedro. Um, like I thought he would have. Um, I thought it was good to, you know, VR has been playing well. Pellegrini played well the match before in that position. Give him another crack at it. They're young players who need to build their confidence. And I, I, I applaud him for doing that. Um, yeah, Pellegrini, I think, is more natural in that advanced role. And I, he's been good. He actually had that man of the match rating again from who scored. We know that goals tend to, you know, ratchet that up for them a little bit, those ratings. But, you know, Veratu and Mkhitaryan scored too. And, you know, he still ended up with the, the highest rating. He had the second most touches on the team yesterday. So 109 touches. Um, he had a couple key passes, things like that. I don't have, I'm pull up his exact numbers here, but his passing percentage was high. He did a lot of things really well yesterday again, and again, scored a goal, which I think is so big for his confidence. I mentioned with Sean after the Bologna match that I thought the goal was so important for him because he's a guy who hasn't really scored since he's been back in Rome, like he did when he was with Sassuolo. Um, you know, so I, I thought it was really big for him to, in terms of confidence, he really rocketed that shot into the corner. He was patient and rush it like he sometimes rushes things. Uh, I was pleased overall. And I thought once he dropped back into the more uh, deep lying role with the introduction of Pedro that, you know, he still played well because Pedro entered for um, VR at some point. I thought Pellegrini had a nice all around game, almost a 90% passing percentage, 104 touches, um, three shots, the one on target for the goal. I thought it was an all-around good performance again. He put in a little bit of defensive work with three total tackles again. Um, so he, he, you know, I I can't be, you know, upset with anything he's doing right now. I think he's in the best form we've seen in his Roma career for like a prolonged period now. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. I think that's, uh, was that two straight matches with a goal? And you're right, he still was yeah. in the match. And he um, had a, a sort of a chance at two goals today. He, had, he fired one that was blocked um, smartly by the Torino defender. So I didn't really um, think too much about that one. But yeah, he seems to be, I, I, I think in a way, playing him deeper is making him a better player because he's getting yes. to practice all these different skills, all these different mm-hmm. roles. So it's making him more um, versatile, quite frankly. And then you see different performances when he plays for the national team as well. So I think this is all good for him. I think we tend to forget that he's only 24. Yeah, he's so only he's, 24. He's still a couple years away from his peak. So we don't know what kind of player he's going to be. He's um, turning into a more well-rounded player. Like, you know, yeah. in the past couple of seasons, you wouldn't expect him to stick a foot in and make a challenge like he has been since they dropped him back. And I think that's been so big for him to be a little tougher too, I think. Mm-hmm. I agree. And then the only other lineup wrinkle was uh, Paulo Lopez starting a goal over Antonio Morante. Uh, and that was the case last match. But I think there was uh, – Morante had like a hand yeah. issue. But um, presumably – um, that had healed, but he still made the choice. Um, I mean, they won three to one, so it wasn't that big a deal. We're going to get into Lopez's role on uh, Torino's goal um, in a bit. Um, but that did that move surprise you at all? 
It did. Um, I mean, it, it was premeditated because Fonseca did say in his pre- press conference that Mirante was fit, but he was going to stick with Lopez. I guess he wanted to reward him after the Bologna match. But uh, I, I don't want to see it on Sunday against Atalanta. <laughs> I'll tell you that after the, the Torino goal. Um, we'll get into that later. But, you know, I, I think Mirante is a little bit of a safer option. Yeah, I, I don't think either one's going to be the starter next year, but I no. am I am going to be uh, very curious to see what he does in the bigger matches versus the smaller mm-hmm. matches. And then for that matter, what's he going to do in the Europa League now that they're, they've moved on and the stakes are a little bit higher? We'll see how that goes. Yeah. Okay, so we'll, uh, we'll jump right into the key moments of the match. Um, this was sort of a, uh, a last-minute podcast we put together, so we're just going to focus really on the goal score. But we have to start off with the um, referee, uh, Rosario... What is his last name? Abiso. Abiso. Abiso, yeah. So, um, again, for the second time in, like, the last three matches, the, the story of the match kind of was the official. And we've seen, I think it was the Gazetta has, like, a new, like, 10-point rating system for referees after each match, and he was given, like, a two. Yeah. <laughs> so he really made his presence felt super early. So if we talk about uh, Wilfred's, is it Songo or Singo? Singo. Singo. I had Songo on the... Oh, shoot, I might have messed it up in the recap. <laughs> Wilfred Singo. So he, uh, his first yellow card in only the seventh minute on a tactical foul to break up uh, Roma would-be fast break. Uh, nothing wrong with that. It's a smart play sometimes. Uh, pretty clear yellow card. Uh, but then in the 14th minute, there was a long ball from Milinkovic Savic, I think, directly to Singo down the right flank that Spinozola actually got a foot on. And so he was reaching up his right foot just as Singo was getting there. So the clash together like foot to foot and then Spinazzola really, really um, seemed like he was writhing in pain. I remember when I was running the Twitter account uh, while I was writing the recap, you can't always catch hundred percent of everything. So when I saw it, I was like, Oh man, he really must've went studs up into him. But then I see the replay and it almost kind of looked like Spinazzola initiated the contact, like his foot was there first. And to me, when I had a chance to look back on it this morning, it kind of looked like he was overreacting. What did you make of that in real time? What did you make of it now you've seen it and maybe in a bit slower? Yeah, in real time, I think they're both just such fast players that they came in pretty hard into each other. And I think um, that certainly contributed to the um, how how hard it looked of a foul. Um, Spinazzola also went down. He was gimping around for a minute or two after that, so I'm sure he felt something. I saw a couple still shots on Twitter today um, because after people questioned the refereeing, <laughs> some Roma fans put out some still shots. And you do see the studs going into Spinazzola's ankle, so I'm sure there was something to it. Okay. You know, um, tough call for Singo, I guess, because of the type of, you know, way it, it happens. But I guess by the book, it is a yellow card, especially when the studs are involved and it's, you know, a hard challenge like that. Uh, it's a shame for Torino because, you know, Singo is one of the players that was mentioned on our preview pod with Rob Gilman as a, a player who's been one of the positives for Torino this year. And he actually pointed out that he scored in the match against Roma earlier in the summer. So yep. big loss for them. And it really conditioned the whole match. The The interesting thing, though, and I'm sure we'll get more into it, is that in some ways that doesn't always favor Roma because when a team like Torino packs it in and tries to defend, that's when Roma has issues. So it, it definitely put Roma in a different situation than they're used to playing. Yeah, I, I kind of that was my initial thought when I was watching the match. I think I tweeted it out, too. And Roma went down 10, thanks to Pedro mm-hmm. um, getting sent off. A really similar situation, two yellows, but, I mean – Singo's 20, Pedro's 33, so I think Pedro's is a little more uh, egregious. But I was kind of thought when he got sent off in that match, that gave Roma more freedom to move, really. So I was sort of worried yeah. um, if Torino would take advantage of it, if they would just sort of say the hell with it, let's really go all out. 
Um, I think the numbers did bear that out. Torino had one third possession, but they had more shots, more dribbles. Yep. So they were pretty aggressive with what they had. Um, yeah. So that was that Singo unfortunate mistake. I guess they were justified, but um, when that happens so quickly, you're right. It's hard to tell. So let's talk about the first goal, which was scored by Henrik Mkhitaryan. Um, so we had a situation. The first goal was uh, what minute was that? Help me out here. Uh, 20, um, 27th minute. Yeah. All right, so we had a situation where Leonardo, excuse me, Leonardo Spinazzola was on the left, and he had like a shot, a shot or a cross attempt in the box. It was deflected out to the edge of the 18, sort of towards Andrea Bellotti, but Gianluca Mancini was also there. Mancini collided with him. Bellotti went down. Um, and then after that, the ball sort of, I counted up there, including that initial deflection. There was three deflections before the shot. So we had the first one that went out, another ball that went in, and then Lianco from Torino put his leg out to stop the shot. And that ball came back out to Mkhitaryan. Mkhitaryan shot it off the near post at Caroms, luckily, into the back of the net. So we're looking at one quick play, three deflections, three instances in which Roma caught the better, ad, the better end of luck. But in the uh, post-match, Torino cited that Mancini knocking Bellotti down should have been a foul. And that was like their biggest gripe about the match, their biggest gripe about Abiso's – Abiso, right? Yeah. Doubting myself. So the big, their biggest sort of qualm about his performance as a referee – what did you make of that? Was it a foul? We've certainly seen that happen before. I mean, VAR looked at it because they definitely took some time before they restarted play again. Um, it, and it wasn't blown dead. Um, so, you know, it seemed like Mancini got to the ball first and Bellotti was there and there was some contact, but nobody seemed to see anything wrong with it either in live time or on the VAR. So I'm fine with it. Um, you know, credit to Mkhitaryan who unleashed another beautiful shot off the inside of the post and in. I mean, He's just been – everything he touches turns to gold lately. And, you know, Roma's all the better for it. Seven goals and five assists now in 12 league matches. It's it's unbelievable. He's putting himself in the MVP talk for the league. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I'm going to divert here for a second. So the reason I mentioned all those deflections, so luck plays a part in any match. Um, but I'm, I'm thinking I mentioned this in one of the recap or the highlights. So Torino were down 10 men after only 14 minutes. I, I would think in some instances you would expect just a blowout, like a five or six mm-hmm. goal, but they only managed three. And as we just mentioned, Trino made really good and effective use of what little they saw of the ball. So do you think, I mean, were you dissatisfied with the outcome? Do you think Roma got a bit lucky? Should they have really put the wood to Torino and just knocked them out like six to one? Are you disappointed? Should they have won by more, I guess, which is a strange thing to ask. Yeah, I mean, so in theory, after they put up five on Bologna last week, who has been a little bit better than Torino this year, knowing Torino's defensive woes, you would you would want more from Roma. But it, in some ways, it doesn't surprise me because like we've talked about so many times, Roma's been so deadly on the counterattack this year, and it's when they have to really break teams down that they struggle. Um, and my buddy who is watching the match, he's a Lazio fan, he messaged me, oh, Roma's going to win by five goals now, you know, after this red card. And I said, I don't know, because, you know, Roma struggles when they have to break teams down. And it turns out that it took a great shot from Mkhitaryan, a penalty which we'll get into to really get the game opened up a bit in Roma's favor. And then Torino, once they were down two goals, really started to push for a goal, and we saw them give Roma some trouble. So I would have liked to see them score more, especially knowing Torino's defensive record. Um, but it doesn't surprise me that they only put up three goals. And, and we say only in most matches, we'd be like, oh, three goals, great. But yeah, in some ways it is only three goals, and in some ways fortunate three goals in certain instances here. Yeah, and I, I, again, the only reason I mention that is I saw someone on Twitter um, took a look back at this point last year. Roma only two points ahead of yeah. last year's pace. And I, I remember last year we were sort of still getting a feel for Fonseca and mm-hmm. um, 
some parts were going well, but it was really like they couldn't string together a consistent run. They never won yeah. more than three matches a row until the restart in the summer. But yet they're, it, it feels a lot different this time around. It feels more cohesive. It feels more fluid. It feels like they're playing better, but they're only two points ahead, so, which I think um, speaks to the point. Are, are they not playing that well, or is the league um, a bit down compared to last year and making Roma look better by contrast? So I, I, that's why I think when you look at these lucky goals, you look at penalty calls, are they really playing that well, or are they just yeah. getting a bit luckier than they were last year? I think they're playing better. I, I, do, I do notice a difference. Like Like I said, you know, they're getting the results against teams they should be getting the results against, which they didn't always do last year. Um, but, you know, certainly Juve's down this year, who has been, you know, the dominating the league for 10 years now. So, you know, them being down a little bit helps. But I also, from what I remember, is when Roma, Roma was right in the mix with Atalanta going into winter break for that top four. They were in the mix with those teams. And it was really when we got to close to winter break, which seems to be their their bugaboo time of the year right after winter break is when they kind of go to crap sometimes. And I, I think that's uh, why we're only two points better than last year is because they didn't start so poorly last year. They, they kind of went bad mid season and then picked it up again after the, the whole restart. So I think it's important that they're getting these results against the teams. They should be getting the results against uh, early on this year. And yes, they've dropped points to those top six, like you wrote that article, but you know, they also have only lost one match on the pitch, um, you know, so, and that was a match that, like you said, it was probably inevitable. They probably lose that match to Napoli right after Maradona's passing, you know, things just were, were kind of stacked up against them that match. So I, I would be shocked if they only stayed on a two point better trajectory the rest of the season than they were last year. I think we're going to see much better from them. Um, you know, what they've been doing so far has me optimistic. I, I think they're a legit threat for the top four and maybe top three or even better if they can continue on this trajectory. It's just a matter of now starting to beat the Atalantas of the world. Uh, they have Lazio and Inter in January. Those kind of matches are what's going to uh, make or break how high they finish, I think. Yeah, I agree. Um, okay, so let's move on to the second goal, which is actually a penalty uh, converted by Jordan Vertu in the 43rd minute. But what led to that uh, was Adinjeko getting clipped at the edge of the box. So it started with uh, Andre Balotti making, um, I call it an in-between pass. So he, uh, they were just sort of organizing their tech, trying to escape Roma's pressure. So Balotti was a little bit in between the 18 and the midfield, um, trying to sort of relieve some of that pressure, passes it back. So he cleared the initial Roma press, but he didn't really play it fast enough to get all the way back to the last Torino man. And as a result, the ball was just sort of a no-man's land. Adinjeko, to his credit, snapped on it, drove right to the box, um, he had slight contact between Bremer. I watched it a couple of times in super slow motion. So it was Bremer's left leg hit Jekko's left leg as it was trailing. So his right foot was planning to take a step. His left foot was trailing and their left legs clipped just as he was crossing the edge of the box. So anytime you see something like that, it's obviously controversial. So what did you think that was that a legit penalty? So in lifetime, um, I thought it was a little bit of a dive on Jekko's part. I've seen some still shots where he does get a piece of Jekko, but I do think Jekko made it, yeah, the most it also, of it. It also, it also looked really bad because he's so big and he's so yeah. lumbering. So when he falls, it's kind of necessarily exaggerated just because his sheer, his sheer stature takes him a while to fall it, to the ground. Exactly. He, you know, he kind of made a meal of it a bit. I guess by the rule of the law, the, their contact is made, so it's a penalty. He goes down. But I do think he embellished enough to really get the official's attention. But VAR looked at it again and saw the contact and, and, and upheld it. If it went against Rome, I would have been a little upset. I would have, you know, been like, you know, that's a soft call. But, um, you know, by rule of the law, it, it is a penalty, but definitely not the, you know, um, 
clearest cut penalty we can say. It was definitely a, a little soft in my opinion. Yeah, I think as I was watching it, and that's why I had to go back this morning watching slow mo. It looked like the foul was on his right leg, but it was just a slight clip between yeah. um, Bremer's knee and like Jekko's left leg. It was a trailing, so very soft. And then Vertut steps up. Uh, Milinkovic Savic actually guessed it correctly, but Vertut put enough behind it to blast it by him. So that was a 43rd minute. So we had in the halftime up 2 0. Um, second half starts. And we had, it looks like we had a couple, yeah, we had a double swap. So we had Kambula and Karsdorp. No, I'm sorry. Yeah, Kambula and Karsdorp coming on, right? Mm-hmm. For Mancini and Perez. Yes. Uh, so the third goal was in the 68th minute uh, by Lorenzo Pellegrini. So he started a give and go with Mkhitaryan. Mkhitaryan was on his left. Mkhitaryan then plays a really nice long ball left to right over to Pedro, who um, I didn't really even appreciate this at the time, but he put a hell of a touch on it to settle it. So Pedro's on the right. Fires it back to his left towards Borja Mayoral. And then Mayoral, by all accounts, probably had a clear shot in his zone, but he just did a really unselfish layoff to Pellegrini. Pellegrini took a couple of touches, drifting to his left, and with his left foot, puts it top shelf in the left-hand corner. I thought it was just a beautiful goal. Mm-hmm. Um, the shot was beautiful. I think the buildup was even better. And I think, to me, that um, shows to me that it's just an increased fluidity. It's an increased understanding. It's an increased sort of internalization of what Fonseca wants. And that always begs the question is, does Roma's attack move faster without Dzeko in it? Just a play like that, it's, it's, it just seems to me like you have Pellegrini, you have VR, you have uh, Mayoral, Pedro, all guys who are really quick on their feet, but Dzeko isn't quite as much. So first of all, what did you make of that goal? And am I reading too much into Dzeko not being there? Um, so the goal, it was a great shot by Pellegrini. My, my favorite part of it from his standpoint was that he was patient on the ball because sometimes we see him rush into shots or passes and he kind of took a second or two to really find the opening and then hammer it into the upper left corner. So that was great on his part. I think that just speaks to his increased confidence in himself because we talked about two matches ago against Asuelo when he passed up a shot to Jekko that turned into that penalty that was then called back in the past two matches, he's let it rip. Uh, so that's good on his part. I definitely think there's an increased fluidity uh, and understanding of each other. Even though Pedro and Borja are new into the squad, I think um, Fonseca's football is starting to flow a little bit better. Um, and yeah, I mean, in some ways, I think they are a little bit quicker without Jekko there. Jekko provides, you know, different things for Roma than Borja does. You know, Jekko's so good on the counterattack when Roma wants to clear the ball out, hoof it up to him, and then he can find Mickey or Pedro running off him or Spinazzola players like that. But um, in some ways, you know, in certain situations, I, I see Borja as maybe being a better fit um, against a tough Torino side who's kind of packed it in a little bit. He might be a little bit better to make runs in between into the spaces and things like that that Jekko's not really going to do for you. So I definitely think there will be opportunities for Borja where he's a better fit, and I think he will see more playing time as the year goes on in certain situations, um, which is a little different than we saw with Kalinic last year. I think this year, I think Fonseca already has – a good feel for Borja. I think he likes him enough that he trusts him more. You know, Kalinic was kind of like emergency starter, Jekko's out, or let me eat a couple minutes at the end of the match. Um, so I think it's good to see a little less of Jekko as much as I've loved Jekko through the years. I think it's good to give him rest too at and, and some points. You know, I think Jekko's always going to get the starts against the Atalantas and the Juves of the world uh, when he's fit. But, you know, it's good to have a different option coming off the bench, a little bit different profile. Yeah, and I, I think the comparison to Kalinic, um, I mean, he was just sort of an emergency. We need mm-hmm. another guy. Let's sign him up. Where I think, yep. by presuming, they did a little more um, forethought into getting Mayoral, um, obviously because he's younger, so that it, it, there's more development. There's more potential in that. Yep. Uh, I, I think that the only reason I bring that up, the only reason we keep harping on it is because 
we, we just simply don't know what the plan is post Jekko because there are two options yeah. on Mayoral. Mayoral has been good. He's certainly showing a lot of promise, but he hasn't really done it against big sides yet. So we can't make the assumption that they can rely on him as a full-time starter. So there is always that what if, are they going to buy a big striker? We don't know. Um, I like when I'm looking at that play, I, I, I feel like Jekko could have been involved in that on the first pass because he does really um, has a really good distribution. You wouldn't think yeah. that. We say it all the time. He, his size sort of belies his true skill but I could see him starting that pass up I just when I see like the quick passing moving the edge of the box I'm like I don't think he can do that as quickly as Borja uh yeah so that's it three three nail up at that point and then obviously uh in the 73rd minute so five minutes later Torino got their one goal um so it was Roma if I remember correctly Ibanez is on the left and he was just they're sort of recycling possession just trying to kill the clock more or less uh, he plays a pass back into the midfield intended for Pellegrini, but it was just sort of sort of sloppy. It was um, a turnover. I think Bellotti stole it. Did a really, really nice turn, if I remember. Um, just sort of one move, intercepted the ball, did a turn, and headed upfield. It was really great. Uh, and then he went in, fired a shot on Lopez. Lopez uh, made the save, uh, close fist punch, and then it just let out a just an egregious rebound. And I, um, I know my opinion on Lopez is well known at this point, but when I – See things like that as someone who played hockey, and if you can't control rebound, that's like a cardinal sin for a goal. you got to smother it or redirect it in the right direction. He just sort of redirected it straight out ahead, which gave Torino a second chance. So, And these are the type of errors that we've seen that caused him to lose his job to begin with. And up 3-0 against Torino, no big deal. Um, they scored the goal, but it really didn't affect the bottom line. But I think it, it begs the question is, um, had that happened against Atalanta or Lazio or anybody, that could have been the death knell for that mm-hmm. match. So do you think he can ever be trusted as Roma's full-time starter? Is there any path to redemption for Lopez? It, it's tough. I mean, when you see him make mistakes like that in those situations, you know, thankfully Roma was up three goals at the time because, you know, things got nervy a little bit at the end when it was 2 nothing and then at 3-1 because Torino was pushing hard. And, and credit to them and especially Belotti because for a guy as good as he is on as bad of a team as Torino is, he works his rear end off the whole match. You know, I, I look at like post Jekko and <laughs> – I've been I've been saying it for years. I'd love a player like him on Roma post Jekko. You know, I yeah. you know, if Toronto well, I'm, gets no, no, no. I'm, I'm just I want to bring up a point that you mentioned that yeah. it's hard work. So um, I I mentioned this in the highlights. So he fired the shot right at Lopez, and you can notice um, Bellotti sort of turns, puts his hands on his hips. To me, I, obviously, this is a big assumption in logic, but to me, it's sort of thinking like Bellotti assumed that Lopez smothered the ball and the play was dead. So he just has his hands on his hip and then he turns around. He's like, oh God, the ball's still alive because Lopez pushed it out and then he seized on it and scored. So I just thought that was really kind of funny. I didn't notice so that. Yeah. He literally just put his hands on his hips. And that's probably him assuming most Serie A keepers smother that ball because it wasn't the hardest shot to save. It didn't look like it no, looked it wasn't. pretty central. You know, it wasn't like Lopez had to make this outstanding save and then it happened to, to go back down the middle and you're like, okay, he made a great save and sometimes it happens. It was a pretty you know, routine save for a professional keeper of Serie A quality. Um, so like I mentioned earlier, I want Mirante to start on Sunday. Um, you know, goalie has slowly become Roma's, I think, biggest area of need. I didn't – a couple weeks ago I was on a different program as a guest, and, you know, David Amayel was the host, and he said that he thought goalie was Roma's biggest area of need in the market in the winter, and I wasn't quite as in agreement. And I still trust Mirante. Uh, he hasn't played the past few matches, so I still think Mirante can be fine the rest of the season. But – we see long-term, especially, this is starting to become a big area of need now that Karsdorp is kind of locked down right back. And, you know, we see Pellegrini's versatility um, filling in for Pedro Mkhitaryan. Those 
positions are a little more short up than we thought they were a couple weeks ago. Uh, keepers starting to become an issue, and I, I don't really trust Lopez in a big match. You know, um, in the Europa League, he's fine. You know, if he plays against Braga, hopefully he doesn't make big mistakes. But you don't want to drop points in Serie A and, and lose points in the race for the top four because two years ago, we know Olsen cost us the top four. We lost out a very close race to Atalanta, and since then – things haven't been the same for Roma because they had to sell and they've had trouble getting back into the top four. So I, I really hope that they turn back to Mirante against Atalanta. I'd rather go down with the guy who's been good all year than the guy who's given up these kind of mistakes. Um, it's tough to trust him right now. Yeah. I uh, try to remove all Robin Olsen um, <laughs> <laughs> memories from my brain. Uh, yeah, I agree with you too. I, I just think that that one single moment is sort of emblematic of the struggles we've had with Roma. Um, and he was fortunate that it didn't matter in the end, but you're right. That could have been disastrous against a bigger club. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that was it. Roma wins rather easily three, one. I mean, you could, if you're, you know, nitpicking, you could have said maybe they could have won five or six, um, considering that Torino was down and Torino's overall, um, poor quality. I mean, they're 19th place for a reason. They've only won once. Um, so looking ahead, we have two more matches before the winter break. We have Atalanta on the road and then is Calgary at home. Mm-hmm. probably yeah it's usually every other one so two matches then a quick uh winter break um so coming up uh on the site we just had about an hour ago posted sean did a piece about a possible new contract for gonzalo vr uh good timing on that because we're starting to see some barcelona <laughs> rumors about him and then we're seeing psg for ibanez we're seeing liverpool for ibanez so mm-hmm. i think this winter is going to be uh, a little more hectic than other ones um so we have Steve, you're working on a piece about goalkeeper options. We have yep. a round. We have a big round table about general winter transfers. So, um, to all our listeners and readers, so I would say right after Christmas, in between years, we're going to start hitting you with a lot of uh, winter transfer reviews. So, why don't you just give us a quick glimpse at your goalkeeper piece? What are some of the names you're looking at? Yeah. So, and real quick before I get into that, I went back to last year's table just to see what the difference okay. was because of those two points. And looking back after 12 match days last season, Roma was on 22 points, even with Atalanta. Uh, two points behind Lazio and Cagliari, who actually uh, joint third at that point. I remember Cagliari got off to that great start and then faded last year. Wow, yeah, Inter- I, don't, I don't remember yeah, that. Yeah, they started really well. And then Inter was on 31, Juve on 32. So top of the table was a little bit tougher because um, Milan's on, I guess, 28 right now. So Juve was four points ahead of that pace. Inter was uh, three better than that. So Milan in first to 28 is a little bit lower than the standard that was set last year. But like I had mentioned, Roma was right in the mix for that, those top four spots. We knew Cali they wouldn't last. So it was really looking like Lazio, Roma, Atalanta for those other two spots. And it turned out uh, Roma Wait, lost out to those so, two. So they are two points ahead of last year's pace? They're two points ahead of last year's pace. Okay. Um, going after four match days, I'm on 538.com. They had a 39% chance of making the Champions League based on the results up to that point. Uh, this year, they're up to a 56% chance of making Champions League which is the fifth best percentage in Serie A. They actually have Napoli still favored over Roma in those terms. Um, I, I don't know how they do their little scenarios right. or whatever, but better chance than last year. Right. So like I said, I think we're we're looking at a, a pretty um, critical winter transfer. So like we said, VR yeah. is drawing interest. Ibani is drawing interest. Roma are interested in a random fullback from Dallas named Brian Reynolds. So yeah. that's one for the pile. But 
Um, like you said, goalkeeper is a focus. So why don't you just give us a quick shout of the few names you're looking at in that piece? Yeah, so I'm looking at some of the, the bigger names in Serie A. I'm looking at more of the mid to lower table clubs because I don't think it's realistic to get a Golini or someone like that. So I'm looking at Silvestre, who's been kind of a revelation for Hellas. He's a little bit older, but maybe more affordable uh, at this point in his career. And then some of those um, better younger keepers like Cranio, who's been linked with Roma in the past, Musso and Dragowski, just to kind of compare their production, look at that, maybe compare it to Lopez and see, um, you know, if any of them could be a fit, you know, we know money's always an issue, but, you know, in theory, who would be the best fit maybe in compare dollar signs to as well. Right. All right. So we'll have that coming. Then we have uh, Jimmy's working on a quick sort of ranking, a tiered ranking of Roma's winter markets over the past uh, couple, past decade, I think we decided to do over the past decade. So look up for all that um, after Christmas and that sort of, uh, strange time in between Christmas and New Year's where there's a lot of free time. So we'll hit you with all that. So for Steve and myself, thank you again for listening and uh, look out. We have another one coming at you at Atalanta preview pod. So that'll be up at some point tomorrow. Um, so thank you all again. Have a good day. See you.